For those of you who are old as I am, you'd remember a president by the name of John Kennedy. And I remember, I was a little kid, and I could remember when he was elected, I heard my grandmother said, here comes Sunday law. That's more than 50 years ago, 55 years ago. And why am I saying so? There was a love in the heart for Jesus. And I pray God that I stay faithful. I can see my grandmother again and be with her. And so church today, I'm very delighted to be here. I'm delighted to be in Belleville. I'm delighted to be living in this area. I was driving in this morning and somehow it seems like the sun shines out a little bit brighter than it did when I lived in Oshawa. I don't know. But you all have been very warm to Marie and I. Sorry, Marie is not with us today. Um, at camp meeting every year, herself and her sisters and some of her girlfriends, they all go to camp meeting, ex-husband. So I call it her pilgrimage. So anyhow, she sends her love. And we enjoy, we thoroughly enjoy being here at the Belleville Church. And we pray that our life could be a blessing to you and to the community because your lives are a blessing to us. Amen? Amen. Well, today the message is coming out of the book of Joel. And yesterday, I don't know how many people have been looking at the news, the news that was all over the world where Britain decided to exit the common market. And as I was preparing the message, as I was preparing the message for today, I'm always trying to think, Lord, give me a message that is apt for the time. Something that is going to touch the heart of the believer, the heart of the hearer, that they would want to know more, that they would search the scripture. And then as I was thinking about the exit of Britain from the common market, the book of Daniel came to mind. Because through the European common market, the objective was to have a unified political Europe. And what did the Bible tell us? That they will never cleave together. They will never cleave together. So what I want to tell you, church, is that our understanding of prophecy pointing to the end of time, it is sung, believe in it, study it, observe it, and share it with others. As we look at the message today out of the book of Joel, so often in church, I hear those verses, uh, Joel 22, 28, 29, being repeated over and over, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I was always excited about Joel 2, 28 and 29. Because in Joel 2, 28, 29, I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And then it was about a year ago, I decided to study the book of Joel. And I saw a truth in the book of Joel that escaped me, and prayerfully it has not escaped the rest of the church. It's a most solemn message. And it's a message that is, should drive us to ask God to search us and reveal within us what hinders the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, the message today is entitled to all generations. Because from the time of the creation, 
When God said, let us make man in our own image, God had a purpose for mankind. And before mankind was created, before the foundations of the world, God had put a plan in place where mankind was going to be saved. That this earth was not going to be lost through sin. But in the course of putting the plan of salvation together, through Genesis to Revelation, there is a central theme that runs parallel to the course of, to, 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 the, to the plan of salvation. You see, shortly after sin came into the world, God proclaimed judgment on the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In that message was a message of judgment. But in that message was a message of salvation. Amen? And after man had separated himself from God, God had given the message of salvation and judgment to the prophets. To the prophet Enoch, we read in the book of Jude 14 and 15, he said, Enoch prophesied over the godliness in the world. And he talks about the Lord coming with his thousand times ten thousands of angels to execute judgment on the world. To Noah, he gave the message of judgment, but the promise of salvation to those who would go into the ark. You see, to Moses, he gave the prophecy, the, the, the prophecy of judgment to Egypt, but salvation to those who would leave Egypt. To Jeremiah, he gave the message of judgment to the rebellious Israelites, but salvation to those who would come out of Babylonian captivity. When John the Baptist came and he prophesied, and he cried out to, 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 to the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, Woe to you! But there was the message of salvation to be baptized. Christ preached the message of judgment and salvation. John the Apostle, in the book of Revelation, there is salvation and there is judgment. And as we open the book of Joel today, we ask, why does there have to be a judgment? Why can't just God just accept the people who profess to be Christians as Christians? Why does there have to be judgment? But in the book of Titus chapter 2, Verses 11 to 12, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Amen? So as we open the book of Joel today, I want us to see that the picture of the book of Joel it's a message specific to the church then and very, and very applicable to the church today. But before we open God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Eternal Father God, I have no strength to stand here. I ask your Holy Spirit to fill me, dear God. Give me the words to say. Open up our hearts and our understanding to this message. Heavenly Father, let it be a joy to us. And Father, let us be a testimony of the love of God to rebellious people. Kindly forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. So let us go to the book of Joel. Joel, that Joel in the Old Testament. If you could remember Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. The book of Joel. And we're going to take primarily a look at chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Joel. 
And Joel, not much is known about the prophet Joel. And um, Joel chapter 1, Joel presents himself as this prophet. He's inspired. He's the son of this man, Pethuel. And that's all we know about Joel. Nowhere else he has appeared in scripture. But as we look at the book of Joel, we see judgment. And there are three judgments in the book of Joel. There was the, ju the judgment at the time of Joel, God's people. There was a judgment on those who reject God and oppose God's people. And there is a final judgment in um, Joel chapter 3 we would not be looking at today. Because that is the end and this is the judgment that we're living in right now. You see, but in the book of Joel, we see God's mercy on a rebellious people. We see a God's call to his people by his prophet to repent. We see a God's promise of restoration. We see God's promise of spiritual revival and reformation. In the book of Joel, we see God's assurance of the gift of eternal salvation. And so the book of Joel, applicable to, to as it was to the people of Joel's day, it has an end-time application to it. Joel is an inspired writing. And I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to go through several chap verses uh, in chapters 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. He says, Hear these, ye, uh, you elders, and give air, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell the children and the children another generation. The message was so important that Joel is calling to the attention of the elders. Those who have been there. Those who would have had the experiences. Those who would have had the history of Israel. Has anything like that ever happened to a nation and to a people? Has anything like that? The disaster was so great. The consequences so disastrous. Joel is calling them to the minds. Reflect back. It is so great. And not only are you to reflect upon it. He says tell it to your children. And your children to their children. And for every succeeding generation. To every generation. I want you to think about it for a moment. And let us look at what happened. We, do, we know that. The prophecy was intended to the children of to the kingdom of Judea. Because in Joel chapter 2 we read it refers to Judea and Jerusalem. And in verse 4 he says, and here is the disaster. He says, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. I don't know if you can picture your minds, wrap your minds around it. But I was able to do because when I was small, I was less than 12 years old, I could remember that. There was a huge tree in our village, that where I grew up. That tree was about, I would say, not the height of the ceiling here. It was a beautiful tree with a huge trunk. It had a great bough, green leaves on it. It was beautiful, we all admired it. And then suddenly caterpillars took over the tree. And more caterpillars came. And more caterpillars came. And they ate all of the leaves. 
And when they were finished, and there were so much caterpillars on the tree that they were literally walking over each other. I don't know if you could picture it. There had to be hundreds and hundreds of these caterpillars. They stripped the tree bare of its leaves. And when they were finished, they ate all the bark off the tree, all of the branches, that the tree stood there with its trunk and its branches pale white. I was able to wrap my hand around what happened in Judea. The end of the tree, filled with caterpillars, it was burnt to the ground. There's the only way to destroy the caterpillars. And Joel is presenting a picture of four stages. We don't know if it happened over one period of time from a, from a, a spring to a summer. We do not know if it happened over a period of several years. But it says the first, the first locust that came was the chewing locust. So it, it conveyed in my mind these locusts came and they were just nibbling on the leaves. But then the swarming locusts came. Well, then we know that locusts fought, they, they, they travel in dark clouds. They do not have a king, yet they march in order, Proverbs 30, 28. They're well organized, very disastrous. After the, the swarming locusts came, what they left behind, the crawling locust. It conveys deliberateness, slowness in action, bent on destruction. It says, and what the crawling locust left, the consumers locust has eaten. That is total destruction. Let us take a look. Let us take a look at several verses. Okay? That in verses 2 and 3, Joel chapter 1. Okay, 2 and 3. So Joel is now calling the attention of the elders. Pay attention. Talk to your children about it because it is a message noteworthy for several generations. Let us take a, a, let's take a look at Joel 1.15. It says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Let us go to Joel chapter 2 verse, um, sorry, Joel chapter Yes, Joel chapter 2, verse, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. It is judgment in the kingdom of Judea. And the locust has destroyed everything. Everything for, that would provide food for humanity and for, for animals. So what was this evidence of the judgment. Let us take a look at verses 16 and 17. Joel chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, what is the evidence? It says, is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clouds. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down for the grain has withered. How could the God's people escape it? Not only uh, is, is the uh, vegetation destroyed, but every, everything for storage has been destroyed. Everything has been destroyed. And now he, he takes us to verses, let's take a look at verse 10. He says, the field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up. That's the effect of the disaster. Let us go to verses 19 and 18 to 20. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O oh Lord, to you I cry out. 
for fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you for the water brooks are dried out, dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. It is evident, it is visible that I want us to take a look at it that all creation is groaning under the subjection of this disaster. He says what? The animals are crying out to God, there is no food. The land has been wasted, it has been burnt up. I don't know if you've ever seen land that's been burnt up, but as a kid, before we planted, we used to burn the land up and destroy everything so that we can plant our seed. The, the destruction was total, he says. He says the herds of cattle, they are restless because they have no pasture. He says, the, the, the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Everything is crying out to God for salvation. That there is no water to water the plants. There is no water. The, 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 the rain had stopped. There is famine in the land. And nature is crying out to God. The animals are crying out to God. What's happening to God's people? Let's go to Joel chapter 1 verse 5. It says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. There is no cry of salvation from God's people. Joel is telling them, you see the signs before you of God's judgment. But you're drunk. You're asleep. The new wine. It's not to be an intoxicating wine. It's freshly squeezed. The implication is that the good things that the Lord had blessed them with, they took it for granted. And so they were living through this life of plentiful they were living through this life where they had so much that they paid no attention to the signs that pointed to the great disaster. It is a message for the church at this time. In scripture, God's people are frequently referred to as a vine, both in the Old and the New Testament. In Psalms 80 verse 8, you have brought out a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. John 15, 5. Jesus refers to himself as the vine and his church as the branches. Joel finds no righteousness in God's people. Totally consumed by the things of the world. Totally consumed by the blessings that they have received. The judgment is being poured out, and they cannot see it. Luke 21, 34 to 35, Christ says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, that the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. In the book of Revelation, 3, 14 to 17, 
and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich. I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We're living in a time, church, of the most solemn import. We're living in a time when we as a church are under severe attacks from several fronts. People, I thought, I believed, they were strong in the faith. Strong Seventh-day Adventists that proclaim the name of the Lord are walking away from the faith today, condemning the faith. Just last week I was um, looking at the news. A prominent Seventh-day Adventist. I would say a pillar in the church. Had organized a meeting with 800 evangelical Christians to help elect Donald Trump as the next president of the United States. What did the spirit of prophecy say? For great men shall fall away from this faith. To think of what is actually happening in the world today. To align ourselves with that type of a movement. God have mercy. God have mercy. Is that our condition in the church today? We're reminded in the spirit of prophecy. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first second and third angels messages there is no other work of so great importance they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention what god has entrusted to this church is far greater than what has been entrusted to any of god's people from the time it the children of Israel was called out of Egypt to the present time. Because God has given this church a message that bears the heart of the sinner to heaven and the sanctuary. Let us not forget the heavenly sanctuary. It is under attack today. Defend it. Know the 2300 day prophecy. For he said unto me, unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. This message, the sanctuary message, is what binds the Senate to the heart of God. 
Because Christ is our intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary. He is the one who stands in the gulf between God and man. And now invites us to come boldly before the throne in the sanctuary. Where we can obtain mercy and find help and grace. To, to, where we can obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let us not lose that doctrine of the sanctuary. Let us not at any time surrender our faith on the law of God. These are the things that have been eroding the effectiveness of Seventh Adventism over the last hundred years. On the death of the prophetess, we have wandered. And the locusts have come in and they're wiping away much of our doctrinal beliefs today. They're challenging us. Find the book, Questions and Doctrines. We surrendered. But know that Joel, but, Joel, but Joel has a solution that we may look as though we're surrendering. But God is ever present with his people. Because he called the prophetess, he called the minister, he called the prophet Joel. He says to go. Let us take a look at a few verses here. Let us take it, um, Joel chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. He says, guard yourselves and lament you priests. So he starts with the leadership. Well, you who minister before the altar. This is all sanctuary message. He says, come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. He says, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. The church was silent. Joel is saying, cry out to the Lord your God. Let us go to Joel chapter 2. Let's take a look at a few verses there. Let's take a look at two, um, verses 12 and 13. Okay, he says, He says, Now therefore says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Let's take a look at verses 15 to 17. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Sanctuary language, church, between the porch and the altar, the altar of incense. This is where our prayers go up to God. You see, God has never left his people regardless of their condition. We can take a look at the seven church, the letter to the seven churches of Revelation. And in each one of the churches, as much as Pergamos had compromised and Thyatira had fallen into apostasy, yet Jesus, the Spirit, was still present with them and God called them to repent. The church has never gone too far that God has turned his back on it. And now the children of the, in the kingdom of Judea, it's the very first thing we are to do when we find a condition in the church. Weep and pray. Those are the only two instruments we have to, to, to bring about change in the church. Starting another congregation is not the solution. Going home and 
you know, I really don't like the church. It's not the solution. Because we all have our own shortcomings. We all have our own challenges. And there's not, you're not going to find a place with more love than you'd find in the presence of, among the people in the presence of God. We may not think it's there, but it's alive and well. And I want you to know and to be confident that this church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is going to remain till the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? It is the only church with a message. And people are going to come in, as some of us are going out, prayerfully none of us are going to do. But know that this is God's appointed church for the end time. And he wants to, us to awake, to be revived, to be reformed, to proclaim that message that he has entrusted to us. So therefore, it was a call to repentance. I want you to take a look at Leviticus chapter 27. Uh, sorry, Leviticus 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And there's a reason. Let's take a look at Le Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to take a look at um, verses 27 to 32. Leviticus chapter 23. 27 to 32. It says... Leviticus chapter 23, 27 to 32. He says, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. And I want us to see that passage in the context of the book of Joel. It says, It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day. For it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening from evening to evening. You shall celebrate your Sabbath. And so Joel now, in bringing the message to the kingdom of Judea, he takes them back to the sanctuary message. That is where we supplicate the throne of God. This is where we bring our offerings. This is where we ask for forgiveness of our sins because Christ is our intercessor in the heavenly courts. If we could remember, always remember, Second Chronicles 7.14. Repeat it with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, and turn from their wickedness. He says, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Hold on to that passage of scripture. That whatever may beset us, whatever obstacles we may see in the way, humble ourselves, know that we are not perfect, and pray for the one who is erring. Amen? So he says, on the day of atonement, we are living in the day of atonement. The Passover lamb has been sacrificed, Christ on the cross. And now we're living at a time in the day of judgment, Revelation 14, 7. For the hour of his judgment has come. So all that God had asked of the children of Israel on the day of atonement, he's asking us, uh, of us today. Number one, confess our sins. Repent of our sins. He says, turn to the Lord. Bring a sacrifice, an offering, and rest. Feel complete rest in Jesus Christ. Amen? Luke 21, 36. It says, watch there, Christ says, watch therefore and pray always 
that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Revelation 3.18 I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with alsop that you may see. Amen? It says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. That faith we need to have. That faith beyond all faith. When you think about we just studied the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, Matthew pointed out the Gentiles who had the faith. It was the um, centurion who asked Christ to heal his servant from afar off. Christ didn't have to go to the house. It was a Canaanite woman that came to Christ. Christ didn't have to go to where she came from. He says, you can heal her. But Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, wanted Christ to come to his house to heal his daughter. A paradox, isn't it? Let us have that faith above all faiths. You know, I read where an author said, faith is to believe in God when it is most difficult to do so. And it is. Because Peter, walking on the water, took his eyes off Jesus, saw the surrounding storm, and he sank. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Have that faith. So therefore, in verses 22, uh, 23, let's take a look at the promise of re uh, restoration. Uh, let's go, to, go back to the book of Joel. Sorry, book of Joel. Let's take a look at the promise of restoration. Joel chapter 2. And let's take a look at um, 18 to 21. 18 to 21. You're looking at the promise of restoration. It says, Then the, 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 the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you irreproach among the nations. It says, if you do these things, I promise you that I would restore all that you have lost. Let us take a look at... Um, Verses 28, 29, and, uh, verses 28 and 29. Spiritual revival. It says, now, after you have repented of your sins, after you have turned away from your evil ways, after you have turned to me, I'm going to restore all that you have lost, all the good things that you had. And it says then, in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and on my maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. The revival would not come unless we turn away from the things that are hindering us. In our relationship with God through Christ. Now when we speak about prayer, when he says to consecrate a fast and prayer. Ellen G. White writes, Prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. 
It is our communion with God. And the more often that we come to God, is that character of God is being revealed in us more and more. We need to pray more, church. There are so many problems in our world today, in our community, that there is absolutely no leader in the, in the free world today that has an answer to our problems. Right now, we just have to, to put everything on Jesus and help us to go through this time that is going to be coming more and more difficult. Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. We are to persevere in prayer. The book of Luke says that we, all we have to do is ask for the Holy Spirit. God has encouraged all of heaven for our salvation. Christ died for us. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And he has sent us as angels, as ministers and spirits to those who are heir of salvation. Amen? All of heaven is engaged in the salvation of one's soul. All we have to do is to come to God in Christ, surrender our hearts to him, and see him work in our lives. I had a situation this week. I was supposed to be on vacation last week. And for several months I spent, I was helping somebody outside of Canada with an event. And, we, and she's a Christian girl. I happened to know her from school. And um, as we worked on this event together, putting it together, about three weeks ago, I became very troubled. After, I think we started in about, I think, the month of April. I became very, very troubled. Because some of what she was sharing with me she wanted to do, I didn't think that that was Christian-like enough. Not, not that it was bad, but I thought if I was going to do an event for the community, I want to have something about Jesus in it. Amen? Something about God in it. I'm not here to help sinners look pretty. I'm here to help sinners come to know Christ so they could look pretty. That's my job. So I started to pray. And I never said a word with Marie, to Marie about it. But Marie was also troubled, but she didn't tell me. And so I'm praying, and Lord, should I take this week off? Should I go on this event? On Thursday morning, after I finished my morning devotion, I had an email. And it's from a Seventh-day Adventist pastor in um, Africa. He's in Kenya. And we're good acquaintances. I met him many years ago, and we've sort of kept the acquaintanceship going. And I've helped him along the way. And I put down my Blackberry. I wanted off to do something. And when I came back, I picked up my Blackberry. And there was a second message from him. And he needs help. He has a church. The roof is leaking. They need money. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In my heart, I felt that that money I was going to use to go to that event to help that person finish it was not being spent in the cause of God. And I needed a way out. And God delivered me. And God delivered me. And the trivial things of our life bring it to God. Because that is when we see how God works. You see, if you not go to God and present it to him, 
don't expect the blessing to come. And so, that was Thursday. Marie was away. She came home Friday, Thursday night. So I said, you know, I'm not going any longer. She said, why? I told her. And she said, amen. She said, I was praying for you. You are really involved in it. I think she observed I was troubled. God heard and answered her prayer. Amen? When he says, pray, consecrate a fast. You know, fasting is something that's gone out of the church today. And it's something that we got to restore. If you remember the story of Jesus when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, at the foot of the mount he met a, a gentleman with his son that was demon-possessed. And there were nine apostles at the foot of the mountain who could not cast out the demon. What did Jesus say to them? When they came to him and asked him, why were we not able to do it? He said, some things can only come out what? Through prayer and fasting. Church, go back to the old days of Seventh-day Adventism. I can tell you about it. I grew up in it. The folks then prayed. I remember they went to church on Sunday night and prayed. They went to church on Wednesday night and prayed. They went to church on Friday night and prayed. They went to church all day Sabbath and prayed. These people prayed. I can tell you about it. You know how far the church was from, the, from where we lived in the village? Three miles. And they walked that way Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and Saturday. And God blessed my eyes to see. I had immigrated to Canada in 1973. I can't remember what year I went back home. And in my village, I came from, was a huge Seventh-day Adventist church. Amen? That is how we're going to grow. Through prayer and fasting, supplicating. So therefore, he promises the spiritual revival. Now, so how do we apply the message in the book of Joel to a present condition? So let us think of what was happening. Is that everything was destroyed. Let's pay instead of paying attention to our doctrines. Let's not water them down. Everything that has been entrusted to us, the Sabbath, the law, baptism through immersion, the sanctuary message, the Godhead, um, salvation by grace through faith. Whatever has been handed down to us is as correct as it comes. Let us retain it. Number one. Number two. Signs of paganism. Refute it. Number three. Hold on to the spirit of prophecy. Ellen G. White's writing is a message to the remnant church. There's not going to be another messenger coming to the church. Why? Because there is no more prophetic time to be fulfilled. In 1844, when the sanctuary message came to this church, that was the last message God had to give to the Christian faith. And what has actually happened to the Christian faith today? I was just looking at something on the news yesterday. This little girl, five years old, in the U.S., she's dying. She's dying. The doctors could do nothing more for her. And she preferred to die so she can go to heaven. And so on the day of her funeral, there was a text message written, I am in heaven, enjoying. 
How many people are deluded in the world today? By the passage of scripture, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Hold on to a doctrinal belief and go and preach it and tell it unashamed. Seventh Adventists must rise up. I've had contentions with people over doctrine. Why? We must stand up as a people with the truth that upholds the truth that God has entrusted to us. You want to know the correctness of Ellen G. White? Is she a messenger to the Lord? I can spend time with you and show it out of the Bible. That's what has been eroding slowly out of Seventh-day Adventism. And I thank the Lord that I grew up in a, as a child in the church that was aware of it, that knew it, that saw how my granduncle lived and my grandmother lived and how they upheld the word of God in their life. I pray that I could have that spirit in me. So therefore, as we move closer to the end of time, the last warning message of judgment will be, pro be, pro be proclaimed very loudly. In Revelation 18, 1, 4, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her for plagues. That's the last message to the warning world. Come out of her, my people. I was asked by someone to do a Bible study on the Sabbath. And we were doing a Bible study on the Sabbath, and he was just overwhelmed by it. And I saw it. And I said, are you okay? He said, no. I said, we're going to stop here. And we're going to restart and we're going to come back to it. It drove me to go home and write a piece on the Sabbath. Not just in my head any longer. That as I meet people on the street, I'm going to give it to them. We have to awake the world that God demands that we honor the Sabbath. We have to awake the consciences of people who do not know that the law of God governs our life. It's written on the tables of our heart. Ellen G. White writes, she says, Thus the message of the third angel will be proclaimed as the time comes for it to be given with greatest power. The Lord will work through humble instruments leading the minds of those who consecrate themselves to his service. The laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal declaring the words which God gives to them. Wouldn't you like to be among that number? Messengers of God. Holy boldness. I'm going to share with you a partial fulfillment of one of our prophetic messages. And a few people in the church saw it, Doug Batchelor, Stephen Bohr, and they wrote about it. But Ellen G. White wrote in The Great Controversy, I, I actually copied it out of Testimonies, Volume 5 to the Church, page 451, but it's also in The Great Controversy. And this is what she says. 
by the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy, Sunday law, in violation of the law of God, our nation, USA, will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. Those are her words now. Again, she continues. When Protestantism shall stretch hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power. Did we see that in 2015? When Protestantism would reach across the gulf to hold the hand of the papal power, the Roman power. When she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands of spiritualism, when under the influence of the threefold union, our country will repudiate every principle of its constitution. That started in 2011, after 9-11 in the United States. Slowly a repudiation of the U.S. Constitution. She says, our country will repudiate every principle of its constitution as a protestant and republic government and shall make provisions for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. This is going to be the last endeavor, the last attempt to erase the truth in the word of God as we know it. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are, allow, they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. What more can we ask of God? He has given it just to us in his word and in the spirit of prophecy. In 2006, it was December 26, 2004, a devastating tsunami struck Southeast Asia. It was estimated that over 203,000 persons were killed across the region. But surprisingly, dead bodies of the many wild animals were not found. It was discovered that they migrated to higher regions of the countries before the tsunami hit. Message of Joel. Also a group known as the boat people. They lived on the boats. They did not perish. These are people who lived on the boats during the course of the year. And when they, uh, they need necessaries of life, they come to, to, to show they replenish, and then they go back. They're referred to as the boat people. They did not perish. When asked why, they answered that their ancestors had told them that when they see the waters receding from the shores, they are to come to land and move to higher ground as a massive wave was imminent. Those who sensed the danger would pay heed to the prophetic message, for they are the ones who are going to be saved. Those who sense the danger, they pay heed to the prophetic message, are those 
who would be saved. God continue to richly bless you.